Hi everybody, welcome to the weekly Bible study. This week we're doing, we're going to start follow-up teachings on the other side of the, I guess what we call the Torah teachings, where we went through the first five books of the Bible. And so now we're going to start following up and giving you some teaching that will really help you. And this particular one, I did this initially in my home. We had our church family over and we had like a, a special tabernacles type of sermon uh, during the Feast of Tabernacles. So it was really awesome. And so I'm going to share just a short teaching that um, I shared with them. Okay, so let's open with prayer. So Father, I thank you so much for this time. We come to you in Jesus' name and through his precious blood. We thank you the blood gives us access. The blood washes and covers us and declares us to be the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, thank you, Lord, as we come through that precious blood, we have access to the Holy of Holies. Let the heavens be really open. Let your glory be awesome. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and take over this time and empower this time and glorify Jesus Christ and speak through me. And I ask that, Lord Jesus, you would be in our midst. And Father, your shining countenance, your eyes of favor upon us. And Father, I ask you by your Holy Spirit to move upon every person and help us all to give our best ear, our full attention, our focus, to get locked into what you're saying to us and not be distracted, to not miss things that are important but to be good, fertile soil for the Word of God, and that you would speak through me everything that needs to be said, Lord, under a mighty anointing. And it will go out as living seeds of truth, sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Let everything be said, everything accomplished. Let the winds of your Spirit carry this out among the nations. It will get where it needs to get. And, Lord, let your angels watch over your Word to protect it, that the spiritual warfare against it will not prevail. Oh, we submit everything unto you about these Bible study course uh, teachings that we do, the course, um, everything that we're doing. We submit it unto you, all that are listening. We submit everything unto your Lordship, and we resist the devil. We must flee. We bind up anything of the enemy that would try to hinder, distract, delay, oppress, that would try to distract. I bind up everything that would come against this word. I command to go now in Jesus' name to back off. And the Bible says, Lord, your word will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So, Lord, we claim this now. We thank you that everything will be accomplished in and through this, that your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is going to be a little different, um, but it's a, it, it's a really good follow-up for what we went through. So, we just went through the first five books of the Bible in depth. I mean, we covered everything. And, and so, in that, now I'm wanting to help people understand some things. So, I'm going to do some follow-up teachings that will help you understand why this was so important and helpful to understanding the whole Bible, okay? So the first thing I'm going to look at is 1 Corinthians 10, and I'm going to start with verse 14, but let me just say, if you just simply want to read your reading assignment, read 1 Corinthians 10, starting with verse 1, and go through the whole chapter, and let that be your reading for this particular teaching, okay? But I'm going to start in this teaching with verse 14. And I want to show you some things. So let me start reading it, and then I'm going to stop and elaborate. But it says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So if we've learned anything from the first five books of the Bible, that God hates idolatry. And he says, I speak to you as wise men. You judge what I say. He says, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless as sharing in the blood of Christ? So it's obviously talking about communion, but communion comes out of Passover. So the cup of blessing hold up the cup and in the Hebrew culture you would speak a blessing and it you know I can share it with you but um, you Jesus held up the cups of Passover each one individually and when he got to the third cup the cup of redemption 
he spoke a blessing. It would have been Baruch Atah Adonai, Elohim Maklam, Borei Perigafen, which means, Bless you, Lord God, King of Earth, who created the fruit of the vine. And then he said, This is uh, the blood of the new covenant. And he passed it around. And the same with the bread. He said, It's not the bread which we break as sharing in the body. So out of Passover, it would have been most likely the Afikoman bread that is broke at the beginning and the part of it's wrapped and it's buried. And Afikoman means he is coming and it's a Greek thing. Isn't it interesting that it's in Greek, but it also is interesting he is coming. It was prophesying the Messiah. How did this even get in the Passover Seder, you know? But anyway, he took that bread, it was wrapped, it was hidden away. And later the children find it. So isn't it interesting? The gospel has been found by the humble, the childlike, and that bread is retrieved. And when it is, there's a gift that that, that the person that finds it gets a gift. And so Jesus would have taken that bread, that afikoma bread that was he had it and he unwrapped it. He would have held it up and blessed it in Hebrew, which means bless you, Lord God, universe, who gives us the bread from the earth. And Jesus would have passed it around, and you know this now speaks of his body. So, anyway, this is really interesting. Uh, Paul goes on, though. He, it's something that's connected to Passover, but it's also connected to um, the communion table. And he says this, Since we are one bread, meaning we're one in Christ, we're one body, okay, um, since we're one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake of one bread. And then he switches over to the nation of Israel. And he says, look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices sharers in the altar? Now, this is important from where I'm going. So, people would come and they would bring their offerings to the Lord, to the temple. And it would be things like um, unleavened bread. It would be, uh, you know, the various uh, animals that were sac sacrificial animals. And they would bring this unto the Kohenim, the priests, who would, you know, cut up the animals, put them on the offering, etc. And when they came, and it was a peace offering in particular, not only did the priest eat of it, but also the people who brought it. It would basically be cooked for them on the altar. And they were able to draw near, because the word for sacrifice is really korban in Hebrew, and it means to draw near. And so, really... A better translation is offerings. God gave various offerings that you could draw near to him. And so Paul was saying here, those who eat of that altar, they eat of what is, is on that altar, they are sharing in the altar. They're sharers of it. So there's some kind of a connection made with this altar, okay? And then he says, so I want you to notice also how Paul contrasts both the good and the evil. So he's showing us Passover and the communion table. Then he shows us the nation of Israel in sharing in that altar. And now he's switching over to the negative. And he says, what do I mean then that a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. Because I mean, the Hebrew mindset was an idol is just a piece of wood or a stone or something. It's nothing. But he says... Uh, no, but I say that things which Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. So in the pagan cultures, there was always um, these pagan temples and people would bring their offerings. They would be killed. They would be cooked and people would eat of that altar. 
And it was a sharing, if you will, in that pagan altar, sharing with, in demons. And he said, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord, the communion cup, and then also drink, partake of uh, the cup of demons. He said, you cannot partake in the table of the Lord and then the table of demons. And he says, or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And so this is a contrast that Paul was trying to show both the good and the evil. I want you to see that. It's important because that's what I'm about to do. So this teaching is basically some of the benefits of the feast days and what we can glean from them from a New Testament perspective. Now, let me say something, then I'm just going to go through these pretty quick. Um, it's important that I say this up front. Everything for me is from a New Testament perspective. Okay? So... I don't believe in being overly, uh, you know, legalistic or uh, just traditions of men that are not biblical. Um, and let me put it this way. I do not believe, because I'm particularly talking about the Feast of the Lord right now, okay? I do not believe in the New Covenant that it is required that we keep these feasts to be right with God. I don't believe that. I believe in the New covenant, covenant, there's liberty where people don't have to keep them at all. But I do believe that there's benefits in keeping them. And I'm going to show you that. But I don't believe it's necessary. I don't, I don't believe that it, it has anything to do with your salvation. I don't believe it has anything to do with whether you're right with God or not right with God or something like that. It just, it, that's not what we're talking about at all. And there's people that go to major extremes and you, you need to be careful with this because it's going to be an issue in these last days first off you've got people that that teach now that you have to keep these feasts or you're basically not right with God they'll say it's rebellion and rebellion is as witchcraft a lot of these same people will teach that you need to eat kosher and they're 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 pushing the envelope really far into legalism and it's a religious spirit um, that they go, some of them even go to the extremes of saying that any secular holiday like Thanksgiving or whatever is basically satanic. And if you participate in it, you're not right with God. Um, some of these people will also be very against things like Christmas, but there's certainly nothing wrong with celebrating the fact that God sent his son into the world. It's just, there's not. Um, but anyway, they, they, they go into this real far extreme. And because of that extreme, people that are balanced, they, they know that that's not God. And so a lot of times they disregard good, healthy teaching because they hear these fringe groups that are, that are often to extremes, and it's weird. And then you've got other people on the whole polar opposite. Over on this side, I just mentioned, it's more legalism. Over here is lawlessness. You've got people that anything goes. They're, they talk so much about grace, grace, there's just no, uh, it's not balanced at all. I mean, they get into all kinds of weird stuff. Basically, people come to church and they pretty much live however they want. And there's no conviction and there's no deep repentance and things like that. So th these are polar extremes, like two ditches on the side of the road. There's this middle ground of understanding things from a New Testament perspective, okay? And that's where I'm going with this. So... Keep that in mind as we go through it. Now, another thing I want to talk about real quick, and then I'm going to give you seven quick things. Um, 
Number one is when Israel left Egypt. The Bible makes it clear. Israel was there for 400 years. So all that Israel knew was like the, you know, the pyramids and the, the what does the Bible call them? Demon gods of Egypt, the idols of Egypt, the, the gods that they worshipped. And also, how did um, Egypt worship these beings, these fallen angels? How did they? But see, when somebody bows down to an idol, they're not really bowing down just to that idol, but they're bowing down to the, the principality, the fallen angel that's behind it, okay? And so that's why um, Israel, when they came out of Egypt, that's why they um, ended up making the mistake with the golden calf, because they, were, they still hadn't truly repented of the way Egypt did things. And so God brought them out of Egypt, and he was going to give them an entirely different culture. He was going to show them to turn their back on all other gods, all forms of idolatry, and to serve him. But God was going to teach them what pleases him, teach them his ways, his culture. So in that, God said there's going to be one temple, there's going to be one altar. Everybody, these are the specific um, offerings that I will receive. I, I won't receive others, and it's going to be done this way. And he told them to bring certain things to the temple, to that altar, and the priest had to oversee it. And God wouldn't receive it any other way. And so people that ate of that altar, they, they were eating as unto the Lord, and they shared in that altar. Whereas people that were going to these pagan temples, they were eating from the pagan altar, and they were sharers in demons. So now let me, let me give you seven quick things that I feel like will really help you. So from a New Testament perspective, what would be the benefits of these feasts? Well, let me tell you, I believe that there's seven. And just like the Apostle Paul did where he contrasted the good and the bad, I'm going to do that. Now I'm going to show you some things that maybe you haven't thought about. And understand too that my wife and I kind of have a unique perspective. Because of her testimony of coming out of all the, the occult activity that she came out of her family is in, um, she, she and I, together, we've had experiences. And I'll share a little bit about that. But when you go through certain things, you, you learn. And we've, we've seen some things. We've experienced some things. We've learned some things I want to share with you. Okay, so number one is this. I want you to picture for a moment. Here's the first benefit. Picture that you're standing on a piece of ground, but to the right of you, there's like a river flowing, it's a current, and it's a real pure river, and it's going in a very positive direction. So if you step into that, that current is going to carry you into a positive direction. And the Bible says that we are continually to be going from glory to glory. So we should be moving in this positive direction. So you can get into that river and it will help carry you. Alright, now picture though, on the opposite side... You have a river going the exact opposite direction. It's going in a negative way. And it's going to be going kind of down, down, down. So instead of going from glory to glory, now you're, it's like backsliding or getting bogged down. And it's difficult. And so <clears throat> that's, that's a good picture and type of where I'm going here. Because God's feast will help you to move from glory to glory if they're understood properly. 
not from a legalistic traditions of men Old Testament way. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about from a New Testament perspective where Christ has fulfilled them. They can help you move from glory to glory. Whereas if you get into the wrong system, it can start bogging you down, dragging you down spiritually, making it difficult, trying to go a different direction. And the example I would use for this first point is this. See, if somebody was in Islam, and I'm going to pick on Islam just because most people are at least somewhat familiar with it, with it but you have to understand that any, any system out there, they all have their gods, they all have their religious system, they have their various feast unto that god, and they have their various means of worship, etc. And so I'm only picking on one, but all of them apply, okay? So we're all familiar with um, Islam to a degree, and one of their highest holy days is Ramadan. So let's just picture for a moment. What if you and I were to tap into some kind of an Islamic feast, and we were to basically spread a special meal out, just spread this banqueting table. Everybody came, and we were eating unto that God. And it was a form of tapping into that, that system. And it was an act of worship to that, that religious system and that God Allah. Um, we would be eating of Allah's altar. We would be sharers in it. Now, if people are in Islam and they do that, there is a sense of empowerment a demonic empowerment that is going to kind of get behind them like a, a wind behind them because of these times. But once somebody accepts the Lord out of Islam and they renounce it, that same power will start working against them and try to resist them and oppress them until they get delivered from Islam. Once they, they're able to break the curses and destroy the strongholds and drive out the evil spirits and really get freed up in Christ because it's available. Jesus paid for your freedom. Um, there's going to be a, an element there of being resisted, during, especially during these times. So if you and I, as Christians or whatever, were to do something extremely foolish like that, it would open us up to spiritual resistance. We would be sharers with the demonic we would have to really ask God's forgiveness and break that off our lives because it would spiritually affect us. Okay. So understand that there's, there's a current of positive in the feast of the Lord, but there's these negative currents flowing in the opposite direction that are unto other gods. And I just use Islam as an example. Okay. The second thing I want to share with you is this during God's feast, the heavens are more open. And he promised to meet with us in a special way. But during satanic feasts, hell seems to be more open and more near. And this is partly because the servants of Satan are doing satanic rituals and calling forth the demonic. So let me, let me give you an example. So there was a, spe a really precious woman that my wife was able to lead to the Lord. And she was in hardcore Satanism. And generationally, her family was in it for... I don't know how many generations, but anyway, she was really deeply involved and she was telling me, I interviewed her about a whole bunch of different things that, that she knew, just kind of picking her brain and sharing with her some things she was sharing with me. 
And she told me this, and it's, it's so true. She said, well, she said, during the satanic feast that we worshipped during those times, of course, Halloween was the most powerful. It was like the, uh, the pinnacle, the strongest one. It's seen as Satan's birthday, etc. But she said, you know, there's other ones throughout the year. She said, during these feast times, she said, it's as though that hell is open and it's like hell is near. You, and she said the demonic is more active and more present. And it's a time where the curses that they were releasing, etc., seem to have more power behind them. And they seem to be able to tap into something very powerful. That's interesting. Now, on the flip side, because I'm doing what Paul did. I'm trying to you know, show you the positive and the negative. During God's feast times... The Bible says that they were, they're called Moedim in Hebrew, and the word Moed, it's M-O-E-D in English. The Moed meant like a divine appointment. And the promise was that God would meet with his people in a special way. So during these times, it seems like the heavens are more open than usual and that the Lord is is more accessible in in his manifest presence coming but it's obviously for those that tap in and press into god i mean you know if you just live like it's any other day i don't know that that necessarily is true but people that are that are participating and they're understanding it from a new testament perspective now let me give you an example of what i mean so this year my my wife and i my family we had passover meal in our home and i'm sitting here you know, got my family. We've actually, some of my wife's extended family was with us, which was awesome. But we, we really went through it, how Pharaoh was a picture and type of the devil and, and how the taskmasters are picture and types of the demonic. Egypt was a picture and type of the world and how we've been, we've been brought out of Egypt by the blood of the lamb, who is the lamb, Jesus, the Messiah. And it was through his sacrifice. And then the four cups, you know, to be sanctified, that he paid for our healing, he paid for our deliverance, and we look for his coming. It was really special, but everything was from a New Testament perspective and really glorified Christ, glorified what he did for us on the cross. And it was in our home. And let me tell you, the presence of God was there. The glory was special. It was awesome. It was like the Lord met with us in a special way. And see, when you do something like that, it's like your, your table that you spread with your family. It's like an altar of sorts unto the Lord. Because you, have, you eat a meal every day. But this is different. This is a special meal unto the Lord. And, it, and you're reverencing what he did on the cross. You're, you're reverencing his body that was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity, the stripes he took on his back for our healing. The Galatians 3.13, he hung on the cross and became a curse for us, delivering us. There's, his blood delivers us from the demonic. And you're, you're, the whole meal is about glorifying Christ. It's about glorifying what he did for us on the cross. And so it's not just any other random meal that you eat every day. This is something special. And your home becomes like a sanctuary. Your table becomes like an altar, if you will. And, and God meets with you in a special way. See, that's what I'm talking about. It's special. Now, on the flip side, if you were to do that during satanic feasts, and, and it was unto those gods, then you're sharers with demons. You're sharers in their altar. 
and you're tapping into something very evil. All right, and then the next thing, this is number three, God's feasts tap into something very ancient and very powerful and something unique to him and his nature. These separate him from all other religions and all other gods. Okay, and now let me give an example. So, these are ancient and powerful. So, I'm just going to talk about Passover, even though we could talk about others. But, see, when you're, when you're sitting here at the table, you, you understand that these are unique to God, and they reveal His nature. So, what you're seeing here at Passover is this. God made a covenant with Adam and Eve in the garden, so to speak, when he shed blood. Remember, it says he clothed them in animal skin, so there had to be some kind of an offering. He was teaching them that blood had to be shed for the remission of sin. So you see the God of blood covenant there. Then you see it with Noah. Then you see it with Abraham. Now remember, God took Abraham out. He had to cut the pieces in half. He walked among the pieces. And God made a covenant, a blood covenant. God's a a keeper of the blood covenant. Then ultimately, you know, Moses was on Sinai, the sprinkling of the blood of the covenant. But all of this foreshadowed the coming of the Messiah who fulfilled it all. And But yet what was the cross? It's a blood covenant. So when you celebrate Passover, you're understanding, I'm, I'm revealing God's nature, that God is a God of blood covenant and he's faithful to his blood covenants. Then you get to Pentecost. Now, we always do like a special conference, and we have really anointed speakers come in. I mean, powerful. And it's all about the Word of God, and it's all about the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that's what at Sinai, what did God give the world through Israel? His Word. What did God give in Acts chapter 2? The Spirit. So it's all about the Word and the Spirit, and it's a powerful time. I mean, these conferences have been amazing. And then when you get into tabernacles, what, well, you know, you have the fall feast, okay? So you're looking at end-time prophecy. You're seeing the, the God who's going to catch away his remnant bride. And then you see Yom Kippur speaks of the tribulation time. And then you see tabernacles when Jesus comes to the earth to reign a thousand years. So you see his faithfulness in regards to end-time prophecy. But, but tabernacle speaks of his glory coming and tabernacling among us, okay? And also the weekly Sabbath. Those that will simply set apart a day unto God. Again, I don't believe it has to do with your salvation or being right with God. But understand the, that the Sabbath was in creation. So God created the earth in the six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. He made it a holy day. And so as we connect to this, you're, you're connecting to the God who created the heavens and the earth, the almighty creator of all things. It's something unique to him. Okay? So I need to get off this point, but I think that I, I think you probably have understood where I'm going with that. All right, God's feast, number four, help us to connect to God's timing. And they bring a blessing upon our family. So I believe, like, for example, when we had Passover this last year in our family, we drank of the cup of the Lord together, and we were remembering the communion table, how Jesus gave us communion out of Passover. And we all did this together, I believe, with all my heart, that it brought a blessing on our family. Now, con uh, contrast to that, when people eat of a sacrifice, so to speak, eat of an altar of another god, and they drink of that cup, I believe it brings a curse on them and on their family. But these feasts help us connect to God's timing. 
many people live out of sync with the Lord and his timing. You know, sometimes there's things in generational bloodlines that are out of sync. There's people that have Freemasonry in their bloodlines, and it's like they're 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 disc they're out of God's timing many times. They're out of God's season. They're they they, they struggle because there's generational curses, and you got to break this stuff. And I'm gonna tell you something about this. So my wife and I, you know, for the first little while when we got married. We wouldn't even keep up with this at all. But every time there were satanic feasts connected to witchcraft and Satanism, my wife really got oppressed. It was noticeable. At night, there was nightmares. It was difficult to sleep. Something was going on. Something was circulating. And I had to understand, God taught me this to help her. I had to understand that she had to disconnect. See, her family, and in in her past, but her family... They were sharers in demons. They, they ate of that altar. They celebrated those satanic feasts. And it brought that family bloodline in sync with that. And so every time these things cycled throughout the year, there was something going on. Something was coming against her. Something was trying to either oppress her or if they could get her back into it, it would empower her. But of course, she accepted Christ and renounced it. She would never go back. So I had to help her to break that curse, break that cycle, and disconnect from those systems that were there. And then, as we began to keep the Feast of the Lord, it, it connected us. It brought us into that timing and that system of going from glory to glory. So every year around Passover time, you go through your home and purge the yeast out. Well, that's symbolic of sin. So it's a good time to make sure that your home has nothing in it that would displease the Holy Spirit. You get everything out of your home. You apply the blood over your home fresh. Um, you anoint your home. And you make sure that your life is, is, you repent of anything in you. You purge the yeast out of yourself. And make sure you forgive everybody. You repent of everything. You bring your life under the blood. And then you go to Pentecost. And it's a time of just a fresh anointing. I mean, literally like a whole fresh new baptism in the Holy Ghost, a fresh clothing of power coming into a new level. And then you go into the fall feast and it's the glory that, that the glory of God will increase in your home and in your life. And so we got into that cycle and it's been like going from glory to glory every year. So the last three things is this. This is number five. Israel is God's victory. So the feast days are a prophetic timeline of events, which I've already taught about when we went through the Torah teachings. These feasts help us to understand Bible prophecy. Jesus fulfilled the, the, fall, the spring feast when he came. Obviously, Pentecost was fulfill, fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. The fall feast will be fulfilled at Jesus' second coming. And so it helps us to understand not just God's nature, that God's a God of covenant, a God of power, and a God of glory. He wants his glory to be in the midst of his people, but he's also, um, uh, he's the one who's faithful to fulfill end time prophecy. And when you keep your eye on Israel, because those that understand end time prophecy know the significance of the nation of Israel, keep your eye on it because it's connected to end time events. And so by these feast days, help us to understand how God, um, how, how we perceive things. Uh, for example, the Bible talked about the moon be turning turned to blood 
And I believe that those blood moons back, I believe it's 2014-15, that happened on feast days, I believe that was significant. I believe that that foreshadowed some things to come. And then the last couple things is this. <clears throat> As we humble ourselves in prayer, fasting, and giving, and consecrating our lives unto God before these feast times, because I, I have a season of fasting before the spring feast, and then also again before the fall feast, where we really humble ourselves in prayer, fasting, giving, consecrating our lives, really repent, really deal with things that we need to. It helps to purge the gates overhead. The Bible says that the heavens are open. When you live right, the heavens will be open over your life, and God will pour out His Spirit. He'll pour out His blessings. Jesus told Nathaniel, He said, You will see the heavens open over the Son of Man, angels ascending and descending. There's something about an open heaven. And so when we deal with things in our lives and really make sure everything's right at these feast times, it helps to purge the heavens and purge the atmosphere around us to be more heavenly. And it's very significant. Um, in our church, we're a pastor. For the first couple years that we had these feasts, it seemed like, man, whenever we had this, you know, we had a season of prayer and fasting, then we would keep these feasts it seemed like that the presence of god was just coming in in an awesome way and an increase it was noticeable but we would sustain that we would never let it diminish and we kept going from glory to glory and now years later as we keep these feast times it's not so noticeable because we've sustained that glory god used them to help us go like from a, a rung of a ladder to the next rung of the ladder to the next rung it's been really powerful. And that was what a friend of mine, uh, Brother John Davis, who um, has ordained my wife and I, Revival Fellowship. Some of you may remember him as the ambassador of the Brownsville Revival. He's our covering. And he's come, he comes and ministers at my church. And he told me, he said, there's places I go where I minister. And I come back a year later and they're the same as what it was before I came. Why? Because they, they lost what came. They, they uh, lost the revival. But now... He said, when I come back to your church, he said, you guys have sustained the move of God. And so it's been awesome that, that God has helped us to do that. But I encourage you to, when you get an increase, to sustain that increase, okay? And then the last thing I would say is the Bible feast caused the Bible to come to life. They really help you understand the Lord and his word in a special way. See, I've had little children around me at Passover. And they'll never forget as we eat of the cups of the Lord, as they, they eat the bitter herbs. I've had them come to the Pentecost conferences. I've had the little children during the fall feast, you know, we blast the shofar and I've got little toy uh, shofarim that they blast. And, um, you know, during tabernacles, we build the booths, the, the sukkah, and they can sit under it. They can feel it. We get a little lulav that they can, they can hold but because they, they see it and feel it and experience it, they'll never forget it. It makes the Bible come to life. And it also brings it into your home. That's one of the things so special about the feast. That it's not just something at the church. It's something in your home and among your family. Well, anyway, hopefully this has been a blessing to you guys. Um, anyway, thank you for joining me. And I'll continue to do some follow-up teachings. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.